This audio production has been brought to you by TheBestDayEver.com, David Wolf's premium longevity member site. The content found on TheBestDayEver.com from David Wolf and New Horizon Health, Inc. is for informational purposes only and is in no way intended as medical advice, as a substitute for medical counseling, or as treatment cure for any disease or health condition, and nor should it be construed as such because that would be illegal. Always work with a qualified health professional before making any changes to your diet, supplement use, prescription drug use, lifestyle, or exercise activities. Please understand that you assume all risks from the use, non-use, or misuse of this information. Greetings, everyone. This is David Avocado Wolf. I'm joined today by Daniel Vitalis, an adventurer, an herbalist, nutrition authority, and longevity strategist. And he's going to be joining myself and more than a dozen other experts at the Longevity Now Conference in Costa Mesa, California, September 30th, 2011, right through October 3rd, 2011. And if you're going to stay to the second, you might as well stay till the third for a master's workshop there on the Monday. Anyway, Daniel is going to be presenting on a number of interesting topics. So I thought we'd introduce a few of those topics and, and give you a little bit of a teaser here in this interview. Welcome, Daniel. How are you? I'm doing so good tonight. Fantastic. Daniel, you're always on the lookout for new cutting-edge strategies for improving our health and longevity. Can you share with our listeners some of the insights you've learned since your last talk at the Longevity Conference? Yeah, there's a couple things that have really been a forefront for me since that last conference. Because, you know, as I recall, going to the conference last year was right about the time that the Fukushima accident had happened. And uh, for the, you know, for the first time in many years, the, the issue of nuclear fallout, essentially radioactive isotopes in our environment, was brought again to the, to the spotlight or to the forefront. Because that's something, as you know, David, it's been going on a long time. I mean, we had Three Mile Island and, you know, we had uh, Chernobyl. But Fukushima kind of brought it back. Back into the forefront and got a lot of us thinking again about how we can keep radioisotopes out of our bodies. And that really led me back to something I've been interested in for a long time, but had kind of fallen to the back of my mind. And that's something that uh, scientists call geophagy, doctors call pica, and uh, ancestral people everywhere always do. And that's eating earth compounds, eating clay or things like zeolites. And, you know, that's something I've always done to some degree and had times in my life where I did it more or less. But I think uh, Fukushima really brought it into my, personally brought it into my attention, you know, Daniel, you need to consume clay or zeolites regularly for the rest of your life because the half-life of the radioisotopes in our environment now are far longer than a lifespan. Some of these things are millions of years, as I know you're aware. So that's been one of the things I've been really focused on. And, you know, David, it's not just how do I uh, get them into my body, but how do I create uh, and structure some kind of strategy so that I want to do it and that I stay on it regularly because these are the kind of things that, you know, eating, you know, something like dirt one of those things that can easily fall out of your daily practice, your daily ritual. So finding a way to incorporate it and then how do I share that with people so they incorporate it too? And that's been one of the things I've been really focused on. That's interesting. Now, that, that's a real issue there because all indigenous peoples eat clay and eat earth. We have, I guess, organized it in such a way where we've encapsulated earth compounds like clays and we've encapsulated zeolite compounds, which are really like super types of clays to make it easier for people. Is that kind of what you're hinting at and making it more of a daily ritual or practice or is it something else? 
Well, it's actually something else for me. And, and let me share a couple things. You know, one was the idea of, of using very, very finely powdered down clays and zeolites in different food products, particularly in chocolates. And I found that to be a really good delivery system. So that's something I've been working on behind the scenes, putting together, trying different things out, learning how to preserve a chocolate that contains that. You know, I've got my company, Sir Thrival, and we're always thinking about you know, new things we can bring to the marketplace for people. But on a personal level, what I found to be most effective for me is to create essentially toothpaste out of very finely granulated uh, powdered clays and powdered zeolites. And what that means is that every day I'm brushing my teeth once, twice, three times a day with a clay or with a zeolite. And then instead of spitting that out like we do with all those kind of toxic toothpaste we grew up with, rather than spit it out, I swallow it. So what happens is I'm getting my teeth clean. I get that mild abrasiveness that I need. But as you know, clay is a a fine powder that it doesn't actually scratch the teeth, and then I can swallow that, which means I'm getting my dose of clay every day, and I get it at those perfect times of day, late at night before I go to bed, or early in the morning, so that's times when our intestines are much more empty, and we don't have to worry about binding up important minerals with our clays. So I found that to be really effective. I made some videos this year, which are up on my website, DanielVitalis.com, which illustrate how you can make your own toothpaste like that. And, you know, it's just been a great um, way for me to do it because I don't have to remind myself to take my clay supplement. Um, it's right there in my toothpaste every day. What about diatomaceous earth? That's been a hot thing recently. What's your opinion about diatomaceous earth? You know, I don't have an opinion about it right now. I mean, I understand the use of it, and I think it can be really effective. I think that unlike clay or zeolite, it's got certain properties that I think people need to play with a little more carefully. So verdict is uh, not in for me on diatomaceous earth, but I'll tell you this, I do have plenty of it at home. Everyone who's listening right now, I'm talking with Daniel Vitalis. My name is David Avocado-Wolf, and we're talking about preventing some of these radioactive isotopes from entering your body. Of course, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. In fact, we can't even use the word cure unless we're curing a ham. There's a lot of discussion, Daniel, about omega-3 fatty acids and the appropriate balance between omega-3 and omega-6 and 9. What can you share with our listeners that will help them appreciate the omega-3s that are needed? And, and are you going to be addressing any of those things at the conference coming up here September 30 through October 3rd, 2011 in Costa Mesa? The issue around omega-3 and omega-6 is such an interesting one. It's kind of dear to me because you know, over the last couple of years, I've been really focused on wild food nutrition. And that really comes out of my interest in how indigenous people eat, how our traditional uh, people in you know civilized cultures eat. Um, I've been really fascinated by where we come from, sort of zoologically, what are we as a species and what's our natural diet like? And I know that interests you and it interests a lot of the people who are coming to this event, a lot of the people who are going to be speaking at this event. One of the things that's sort of an undeniable fact of nutrition is that wild foods from the plant kingdom tend to be far higher, far richer in omega-3 fatty acids and far less rich in omega-6 fatty acids. And for some reason, one of the things that happens when we domesticate plants is that we increase their omega-6 component and we decrease their omega-3 component. Now, uh, as you know, David, a lot of the people, say, 10,000 years ago prior to the Neolithic Revolution who weren't exposed to agriculture hadn't been really developed yet. And, you know, interestingly, that's really not that long ago. Um, people just back then, or we could even go, say, to the jungle like the Amazon of Peru, we could find 
truly untouched people. There they call them the naked people, people who are have never encountered our civilization. Those people are still living on wild food diets. And that means their diet is much higher in omega-3s, much lower in omega-6s. Now, I don't want to demonize omega-6 because they are essential oils. In other words, our body can't make omega-6, and so we need it as a dietary component. But this issue of the ratio has gotten pretty skewed because it seems now the average American is eating about 20 parts of omega-6 to every one part of omega-3. And really, we want to be somewhere between one-to-one omega-3 and omega-6, or maybe we could go as far as one part omega-6 to uh, four parts omega-6 to one part omega-3, but this ratio we're at today, 20 to 1, is definitely unsustainable for us, and we know that it causes inflammation, and so we know inflammation is a root of many of the diseases today, and I just think it's really pointy, Dave, if you look at what we've talked about so far in this call, a few of the things that we've fallen away from, um, one, eating earth, literally ingesting earth compounds like clay and zeolite, that kept us healthy for much of our development as a species. The second thing, eating wild food from our environment, that kept our omega-3 and our omega-6 in the right balance. So really, rather than, you know, one way to look at this is we could look at these as separate issues or we could see the bigger picture, which is as we step outside of our niche in our ecosystem, the further we get away from that, the more damage we do to ourselves. And at this point, the question is, how do we approximate our natural way of life so that we um, can halt the degenerative effects of our modern lifestyle. Our modern lifestyle is wreaking havoc on our health. We're well aware of it now. The numbers don't lie. So the question is, you know, where do we look for and how do we reincorporate some of these things? Bringing foods like the, like the wild plant foods back into our lives. And for some of you, that might just mean starting to do some herbalism because herbs are typically wild plants are very close to wild plants, semi-cultigens. Bringing those into your life can increase your omega-3s. Using uh, more heirloom seeds can increase your omega-3s. Switching away from some of the grain-based foods and getting to things like chia seed can increase your omega-3. So those are things we can do to sort of approximate how our ancestors lived just a few thousand years ago. And again, bring in things like these earth compounds in. We're just approximating our ancient way of life, our natural way of life. You know, disease is not natural for us. This is Disease is an unnatural experience and it comes from living in an unnatural lifestyle. What are some of your favorite wild plants? I just got back from from living in the forest for the last month and got to eat wild foods every day, which is such a relief. And, you know, my favorites, I like wild mallow a lot. I like wild primrose a lot. I like the flower primrose. I love wild St. John's wort. It's a favorite. I love all the, all the different, all the different like dandelion chicory, that whole family of stuff. What are some of your favorites? You know, one that's become one of my one of my most favorite this year and last year has been milkweed. And that's because milkweed is a, a vegetable when it first rises up out of the ground. It's sort of like a, a shoot of asparagus. So it's this early, you know, the meristem of that plant, that the flexible stem that first comes up out of the ground, the shoot, is a wonderful edible. And then as that plant comes up, it produces uh, later on its flower, which is just a delicious edible. Then the flower, which is edible through its whole cycle, becomes the... Uh, so actually before the flower, the flower bud is edible, then the flower is edible, then the pod is edible, and later on in the year, I end up harvesting the plant for fiber. So it's become one of my favorite plants. But you know, um, avocado, one of the really interesting things this year I've noticed is um, I do a lot of foraging with my partner, Alexandra, and she and I go out uh, together often. And there's this interesting thing about, uh, I've, I've read in all of the ethnographic reports on indigenous diets, hunter-gatherer diets, is that berries are the favorite food of women. 
in indigenous cultures, and that's not true for men. For men, berries uh, rate number three in their in their hierarchy of favorite foods. But for women, it's number one. So this year, going out with my partner, wow, the amount of berries that I bring home now is far beyond anything I've done before. And that's because I've got this woman at my side who's constantly looking for berries. So we're doing a lot of blueberries, a lot of blackberries, things like wild raisin this year uh, from the Crampark family, which is really exciting and new for me. Um, so lots of interesting berries that I've never tried before. Uh, service berry, autumn berry, autumn olive, things like that. Oh, fantastic. This is a great year for berries, great year for blueberries. We had relatively good raspberries and blackberries and spikenard and gooseberries. I mean, you probably have similar to what we have, the gooseberry that looks like a little Sputnik. Do you have those? You know, when I was just down in Peru where the, uh, that, what we call up here sometimes the Inca berry or the, the golden berry, which is really a gooseberry, was down there sampling that and uh, was down with a botanist where I got to see the progenitor, the wild progenitor of the um, tomatillo, which, um, as you know, the, these gooseberries are in that same family of plants, the solanacea plants, the nightshades, and you can see in the tomatillo the similarity to the gooseberry in the same way that it forms that uh, husk around itself. So I got to experience those in their wild state. And I want to say one berry you hit on a minute ago, spikenard. I mean, that's one the average person is just, um, wow, have they been robbed of an experience because that is an amazing fruit. And I think the benefits of that plant, which come out of the Aurelia family, the ginseng family, I think the, the benefits of that plant have yet to fully be uh, explored and recognized, especially some of its more androgenic properties. That's a that's a phenomenal berry. And if, for those of you who are listening, you've seen my superfoods book. In the back of the book, there's a picture of me eating berries, and actually, those are spikenard berries. And I actually originally, when I first found that that grouping of plants, I thought it was ginseng, but it turns out it's spikenard because it's the Areolaceae, as Daniel just mentioned, similar family but, but slightly different. These are things that are present in the entire ecosystem of the temperate region of the whole of all of North America. I've seen those same spikenard berries. It's it's a western spikenard, but also growing right in Marin County, California. Very similar to what's growing in Maine. Very identical to what's growing in Ontario, Canada, and and Quebec. So things to be looking out for when you're out hiking and, and foraging around. Okay, now let's talk about some of the environmental contamination. You've obviously been doing your clays and you've been doing your zeolites to knock out the radiation and neutralize the radiation, other environmental toxins. What other kinds of detox protocols are you emphasizing now for purging this kind of contamination other beyond what we've already talked about? The big one for me, and this is this is something I was very passionate about when I was young. And then over the years, as I got into traveling more, it's something that really fell away from me. And now I've made it a very committed and very serious discipline in my life. And that is using the sauna in a really regular way. And I got to say, um, when you maximize your skin's ability to remove not just water-soluble toxins, but oil-soluble toxins, you take a significant burden off of your kidneys and off of your liver slash uh, digestive tract, which removes the oil-soluble toxins from our body. Uh, it feels great. It, it relaxes the sympathetic nervous system, and it really releases so much toxicity from our body that the uh, regardless of what anyone tells you about it or what you read about it, the feeling is so palpable and obvious. I've been using my sauna almost every single day now for several months. I've been using it in conjunction with a lot of other things. So I use it in conjunction with things like skin brushing. I use it in conjunction with the clays. I use it in conjunction with making sure that I really purge my lungs every day of air and get plenty of exercise. 
But I'll tell you, the sauna, I think, just like for the native people of our whole continent, the the sweat lodge for them was a key part of what kept them healthy. Just like all over northern Europe, the sauna has been very, just like all over the world, the sweat baths or the, the Russian baths or um, the Swedish sauna, all of these things, all over the world, we see this idea of purposely uh, bringing on hyperthermia or sweating to release toxicity from the body and to relax the 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 sympathetic nervous system. So I've been doing that regularly. I think that's going to be a lifelong practice for me now. Absolutely changed my life. It's a great way to start your day. I do it every day before I uh, get in the shower. I've been using infrared sauna and uh, yeah, it's just been amazing for me. That's so interesting. That's exactly what I've been doing and I've been doing it in a way like I have never done it before in my life. Every single day, get in there for 40 minutes, somewhere around 30, somewhere around 25 to 30 minutes of it is really intense and it's been a total transformational experience. And for those folks who are going to be joining us at the Longevity Now conference, we are going to be featuring the Clear Light Low EMF Saunas, which is the kind that I have at home. And it's That's what it I have is, at home it, as well, David. Yo, know, you've got the same. So it's a game changer. It is an absolute game changer. Oh, that's an, I, you know, when I got that sauna, I thought as it was, you know, coming, I had seen other saunas that, uh, you know, you can sort of mail order and, and put the walls up. And I, I wasn't, I, my expectation, I got to say, was a bit low because I had seen some that weren't so great. And I've been consistently blown away with the quality of that sauna with, um, I love the fact that you have the optional different colors of lighting. So you can go through all the different, um, you know, the spectrum of light colors from the top. I, I just think the sauna is fantastic. It heats very evenly. And uh, for an infrared sauna, it works really great. Yeah, it's just, it's been really, really something to have that moment every day to get to get the sauna in. And it's it's really wonderful, too, if you're like me and you're working really, really hard and you find that moment, well, my God, I've got to get upside down for a minute, take a nap. Well, I don't do that anymore. Now I'm just getting into the sauna and kind of propping my legs up. So I'm getting my inversion. I'm laying down. You doing the same kind of thing, Daniel? Yeah, and I got to say that I think anybody out there, I know, you know, we got to steer clear of the, the cure word, and so I wouldn't even think to go there for a second. But what I would say is, you know, if somebody had a problem with retaining water, somebody had a problem with high blood pressure, I think they would be crazy. I think you'd have to be insane not to look at using a sauna regularly before you look at some kind of um, dangerous or, uh, you know, potentially dangerous drug intervention. I just think that's mad. Um, the idea that you can remove so much water from your body so easily and that the benefit is that you feel great. I mean, essentially, it's a lot like exercising. Your heart rate comes up, your respiration increases, uh, except that unlike exercise, which stimulates the sympathetic nervous response, in other words, when you exercise, there's an adrenal reaction. Unlike that, you get the opposite, which is the relaxation or meditative parasympathetic response suppresses the sympathetic nervous system, so it calms you down. I know in my life, I got a lot of stresses. I'm moving around a lot. I'm running a business. I'm very busy. Um, and I need always to find ways to calm myself down. And wow, to have this sauna has just absolutely uh, rectified a whole aspect of my life. That, that's so great. It just feels so good. Are you going to be talking about that as well at your presentation? Yeah, that's actually going to be part of my talk. You know, what I'm really going to be looking at in this uh, lecture, the Longevity Now Conference, is how do we uh, eliminate toxins from our body? I mean, we have basically four channels that our body eliminates through, and that's the kidneys, the skin, 
the colon and the lungs. And I'm going to be sharing with people how to maximize all four of those. And I'm going to share some new stuff that I never shared around that idea before. Um, but I want to encourage people to let, to open all those channels of detoxification. This is stuff people have known all through history, but it's never been as important as it is right now. I mean, it's just never been as necessary to keep all those channels open and flowing because right now is the time in history where everybody alive who wants to be here in the future better start adapting and adapting fast, you know, because we are encountering more environmental pollution than, than it's, I mean, it's mind boggling how much there is. So we can't really avoid this stuff. That's the thing. I mean, you could try to live like the monk in the monastery and you'd still end up with PCBs in your body fat. So what do we do then? We got to just keep the channels open. I mean, we're all walking down the street. We're all pumping gas. We're all driving cars. We're all touching plastic computers. We're all getting exposed to stuff. So let's keep the channels open. And that's what I want to encourage people. And that's what my talk, uh, Sovereign Health, uh, is going to be about. Great. Now, you you come to these events and you've been at the last four or five with us. What What is it that you actually take away from these longevity conferences, Daniel, because you're given so much, but I know just like me, I'm always picking up tremendous insights and whole new directions to go from the folks who are there. What are, what are the key insights that you've picked up over the years from the longevity conferences you've been to? You know, one of my favorite things about going is being around uh, really top level uh, speakers and business people because what happens for me is, you know, I spend a lot of time focused on what I'm teaching, what I'm researching, and I have that kind of passion about my own work that I start to think what I'm doing is the only thing going on in the world. And it's so great for me to get out of my, you know, I live up here in northern Maine. It's sort of, uh, it's a very sleepy area of the world. When I get out to L.A., it's uh, it's game-changing for me. And I, and I get almost overwhelmed by how much is actually going on, all the different areas people are focusing on. And it really kind of cracks me open and reminds me of how small my little contribution to that actually is. And you know what I really love is seeing what the uh, different companies are bringing to the marketplace for people. That really inspires me as well because there's consistently been upgrades in the quality of products, the quality of packaging, the quality of uh, eco-consciousness, the quality of um, sort of um, more spirit-based economic practices. So for me, it always pushes me to have to really go to the next level. I just get really inspired by that. And of course, just getting to hear so many different speakers, everybody's got a focus that's just a bit different than mine. And so, you know, you can't help, even if you just walk in and out of the room from time to time, you can't help but to pick up lots of new stuff. Um, I always love seeing your performances, David, because uh, when you're up there, you know, you really captivate the audience, you motivate me to become a better speaker. And lots of the speakers there are doing that for me as well. So for me, it's just always, it's always making me take it to the next level. Every time that I've gone back, incidentally for me, part of going back there is one, I get to you know, with that many people in one room, I get to infuse new ideas into our community in a really powerful way because that many people walk away and share that information. So one, there's a big responsibility, but two, it's a chance for me to introduce new ideas and I always want to uh, do a little bit better than I did the time before. So the Longevity Now Conference for me is an opportunity to really come and be my best 
And, uh, you know, I really had a great time last year. So this year, my whole team is really having to pick it up because uh, we want to we wanna outdo what we did last year for people. All right. Well, I'm David Wolf. I'm talking with Daniel Vitalis. Everybody who's listening, thanks for joining us. We are going to be hosting a tremendous longevity conference in Costa Mesa, California. That's between Los Angeles and San Diego on September 30th through October 2nd. And we're going to do a master's workshop on the 3rd coming up here 2011. September 30th through October 2nd or 3rd. We'd love for you to join us. We still have a few spaces available. There's going to be about 1,300 to 1,400 people there having the best time ever. We've got Ron Teagarden coming out doing his herbal elixir mastery. We've got a tremendous presentation coming in from Daniel Vitalis, who's joining me right now, and he's going to be talking about all of his latest breakthrough technologies and about detoxification and about strategies to deal with a polluted environment. We're going to have Kevin Trudeau there. We're going to have some of our old-time favorites, Truth Calkins, be joining us, Donna Gates. And, of course, we're going to have some of our great chefs, including uh, Ross Sola from Iceland. And we're going to have that tonic bar roaring on into the night every night. So it's going to be one of these very rare, unique experiences. And I really believe it's a summation of what personal development technology delivered to us in the 80s and 90s, which is the success seminar crossed with very relevant, pertinent information about how to really have the best day ever by taking care of our bodies in a way that's never been possible before. We've got a soul living in a body, and we want to make sure that that body is able to carry us to distant, faraway vistas and goals that have always been with us throughout our lives that we really now are now believing that it's becoming more and more possible with all the advent of technology and all the insights that we're gaining from these kinds of presentations that happen at these conferences. So the details are going to be found on Daniel Vitalis's website, danielvitalis.com. You can find it at the longevitynowconference.com website or just buzz around the internet and check out where, where other people are going to be on that weekend. You'll find it's all leading to one place, which we call home, the Longevity Now Conference in Costa Mesa, California. Daniel, any, any parting words for us? just that I'm really looking forward to seeing everybody there. I hope people take the time to come up to the booth and spend some time because uh, that's my chance to really get to talk to people from the community. So I'll be fully available for people there at my booth to answer your questions, to answer the questions you've been wanting to ask for a while. I'm just so excited, David, for um, another opportunity to come out to uh, California and, like I said, get to bring my uh, A-game out there. All right. Well, we're looking forward to your A-game, Daniel Vitalis, and thanks for joining me. Everyone who's out there, Daniel and I are wishing you the best day ever. This program was brought to you by thebestdayever.com. Thanks for listening.